to do your will. In Jesus', In Jesus name, name, amen. Amen. First Samuel chapter 17 this evening. David kills Goliath. It's better to kill Goliath than to be killed by Goliath. And that is just a fact. Not only was he a giant, he had a very poor attitude of life, especially David's life. And spiritual giants, of course, we know all about them. We read about them in the Bible. But the Bible has a way of turning life into its classroom and not a place that. And it can be pretty scary. And David's going to have a great victory, of course. But after this victory, there's a lot of life waiting for him and a lot of lessons for us about how he faced them. This is the beginning. This is the, you would think it would be a climactic moment. It is just the start. And he never saw it coming. We, we seldom do. Well, we left off with David walking out of the Israeli camp Emerging from the line of the Israelites, the giant sees him coming. And now we pick up in verse 41. Again, David's coming out in the garb of a shepherd. The giant is with body armor and heavily armed. And he has another man with him. Verse 41, so the Philistines came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. That is Goliath's esquire, his armor bearer. And, of course, Goliath is filled with hatred towards the Jews. He's heading straight toward David. Uh, Mr. Big is not bluffing. And attempts to appease such enemies are senseless. When someone's wrong, appeasing them does not help the situation. It makes it worse. It says here in verse 41, And the man who bore the shield went before him. And that teaches us, you know, for those of you who may not yet have learned, that even giants have helpers. Great. A satanic trio faces every Christian. There is the world and its influences, which are so rich with carnal pleasure. Our flesh that we're born with, the sinful nature, just loves what the world has to offer. It's never a surprise that people sin, because we're sinners. And the world, without effort, uh, can be quite a giant in itself. Of course, there's the flesh that responds to the world, my sinful nature. If there was nobody else around, I'd still be a sinner. Hermits are still sinners. (laughs) There are those that have tried to be hermits to not sin and have found that it doesn't work at all. In fact, it could be worse. It is worse. Then, of course, the master of this satanic trio is the enemy himself, governed by Lucifer, hordes of evil influences that have access to us in one form or another. Actually, it's multiple forms. And we must not be distracted by the giants that we face when we don't face giants every single day of our life, but there are times when we face giants and we mustn't be distracted by those that uh, accompany the giant that are also dangerous. 
We have to stay focused on the larger problems and not lose sight of the potential problems. And this armor bearer was a potential problem. Not that they were going. Not that David and Goliath would have gotten into a fist fight. That would not have lasted very long. And David would have gotten in back of him and just choked him out. Very simple solution. So if we see a giant problem in life. Uh, the lesser problems are hazards nonetheless, but they cannot distract us. And uh, Satan finds his helpers. He finds those who are willing to assist his champions. He finds advocates. He sends them to churches to preach their little message to people. Even the Antichrist has a sidekick, the little horn, that does all sorts of flunky work for him in the spiritual realm. But he is a very serious problem. And so as you remember the story of David and Goliath, don't forget Goliath had a helper because that's a lesson for us in life. But that helper didn't help very much. David stayed focused on the big problem, took it out of the way, and the smaller problem fled. Verse 42, And when the Philistine looked about, and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. <laughs> David didn't write that. He didn't look the part. He wasn't tough enough. Uh, looking, he looks can be deceiving. Goliath sees him and says, you're kidding me. This? You've sent this? <laughs> this is your champion to face me? It was yet another mistake Goliath made. Paul told Timothy, let no one despise your youth. Be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. In other words, pull the teeth of their criticisms. They're going to say things about you? Make them liars. Because sometimes the older ones have a difficulty adjusting to the younger ones. Not when the younger ones are foolish. Um, we're not to a peace era, no matter how much we love the wrong one that is wrong, we do them more harm. They'll learn that in time, hopefully. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 3. You now we're talking about Goliath scoffing at David, just looking at him. He, <laughs> he profiled him. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Also, to keep you from scoffing, let me get this right. I'm supposed to judge the earth at your command. Otherwise, you'll scoff at my delay. Well, you're going to have to scoff. Revelation 6, 16 tells us, how it ends for the scoffers. And they said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. The great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? This commentary built into their projected response. That is the way of the scoffer. A debt they cannot pay. And the Bible warns don't fall in line with them. And the believers don't. The unbelievers do. Some are slow to become believers. 
They're so impressed with the world. They're so impressed with what makes them feel good that they dismiss what's right and what in the end will feel best. And we do it by faith. And faith requires suffering, pain. There's no way around that. Uh, The old saying, God has one child without sin and none without suffering. He says here in verse 42, For he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. David, because what is with you people in my youth? You know, when he came, when they came to anoint him with oil, he's the youngest, still the youngest, you know. And uh, anyway, First Samuel 17, and Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. To which David could have said, okay, I am a youth and I can't go fight him, but you're not a youth, why don't you go fight him? Verse 43, so the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. They are standing a good distance away from each other at this time. And we know that because David is going to run towards him. Well, if they're close enough to just simply converse, then David would bump into him and fall over. (laughs) Picture the big giant. and Anyway, so there's some space. That means they're, they're, they're projecting. They're, they're speaking loudly to each other. Those on the battle line, the Philistines and Jews alike, can probably hear what's going on, the exchange between these two. There's also distance to throw the stone. So David's going to close this distance. He's going to run towards the giant. He's going to be loading up his sling. And there's that distance to get that missile to do what it's supposed to do. So... Again, they're some distance away from each other. And that would explain how some of this is recorded. Uh, that others are, are listening. And there's also the issue of the language. Well, David, they're probably speaking Aramaic. Uh, some Semitic language that uh, was common enough in that region. Um, David parries the remark about the dog, missed a good chance to say, you know, call him dog breath or something. But he's he's too focused. There's no time for jokes with David right now. He's all serious. He can't wait to drop this guy. He knows. uh, The Spirit has surged in him. If you've ever had the Holy Spirit surge in you, you know that when you have to operate and you don't sense that surge, it is very difficult. You're looking for it. It's there. It's just not flashing like it always does. Operating behind the scenes. I like it up front. I like it when God shows up and shows off at the same time. But uh, he does not do it that way. So far, I would have to say, the older you get in Christianity, the more faith you have to use. What a drag. (laughs) Seriously, I want to be emotionally into things. And I, sometimes I'm not. It used to be I step into the pulpit, I could run to the pulpit. Now I don't always run to the pulpit. But never have I not sensed the Lord standing here. And it, I, I like to think I've gotten better at doing what I'm called to do. No, no comments, please. <laughs> okay, I've got to remember. It's Wednesday. It's been a long day. Let's get to the point. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. He cursed David by his gods. That was theologically wrong. But 
Goliath just ruined any chance of staying alive. This blunder of blasphemy, the shepherd is going to take his life for this. And when they play back the tape and they look at this again in slow motion, they'll say, wait a minute, let's speed it up so we can hear what he said again. That's the part right there. He should not have insulted David's God. But he did. In verse 44, and the Philistine said to David, come to me. And I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and beasts of the field. Another mistake. Come to me. David's going to come to him in real quick light. And uh, David's life was not for the giant to take. Goliath would be the entree for the buzzards at their banquet in a few minutes. Minutes is a very short event. It's around one knockout, first punch. And uh, these words that Goliath uses here, added to the fright of all the other Jews that were intimidated by the giant. Everybody but one. The Philistines could say this day, there's always one. And it was David. There's always one. It has to spoil it for us. And on this day, it is the king to be. It It is a wonderful story. It's brutal. It's savage. But it's a matter of survival. And what's David supposed to do? Take daisies out to him? A bouquet of daisies? Here, giant. You're just having a bad day. Uh, That, of course, would have failed. Saul. Saul thought the giant was too big to fight. David thought he was too big to miss. What a different perspective in life. I mean, how do you view it? You know, how do you view coming to church? How do you view serving the Lord? How, you know, the glass full, half empty, whatever, you know, you want to use. But this is a good contrast for all of us. It's a lot different, though, when you're facing the giant. But David had no time. He had no time to sort it out. He's just focused on what he was supposed to do. And it was a raw focus that none of the others had that day. Not even our beloved hero, Jonathan. Uh, But God will help David. Verse 45, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of Yahweh of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. You crossed the line, and now you're going to pay. David did not let the giant have the last word. He did not remain silent. As our Lord, uh, when tempted in the wilderness, he did not let the giant get the last word in. He said, it's written again, in case you haven't read all the Bible. And, uh, of course, it was very effective. But David says, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin. Well, he came prepared for a long fight. I wonder if he had a lunchbox, too, but... He came for a fight, and as, you know, as, as we face giants, we, we don't think that, oh, this is going to be a walk in the park. Isaiah 54, verse 17, is a very beautiful verse, but when you're struggling, so if you, I'll read the verse first. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment shall, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of Yahweh, And their righteousness is from me, says Yahweh. 
Well, no weapon formed against you is going to prosper. That's true on this day for David. But what about when Saul... Now, Isaiah wrote this almost... uh, I don't know, doing my math in my head. 500 years after these events. Uh, Don't hold me to that. A long time after, Isaiah writes these words. About 700 years. And so they weren't here yet. But Abigail will say something similar to David. The point I'm making is, if you're in David's position, facing the giant, uh, you have the surge of the Lord and you're ready for him. But there are times in life when you face these giants and you read a verse like this from Isaiah and you just don't feel it. You don't believe it's going to apply. You, you believe the weapons form against, formed against you will prosper. And so having a verse like this in times of trouble, what's it going to do for you when you're failing? David's going to find out. He's going to show us. Because he reaches a point in his life later because of Saul, where he says, Saul's going to kill me one day. There's just no way to get away from him. And, of course, shortly after, God dispatched Saul. Continues in verse 45, But I come to you in the name of Yahweh of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. He's zealous for God in the face of death. He knew of... Saul's promised rewards, no taxes for his father, and to take Saul's eldest daughter, Mirab, as his bride. That's not the motivation of David. He asked about that. What again is going to be given to the guy that drops this guy? David's single ambition was God, the God of Israel. Those other things were bonus. He wasn't going to say no to them. He should have. He got Michelle. That proved to be a disaster. But who knew? John's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 17. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. That zeal should be found in believers from time to time. We should have zeal from time to time for the things of God. And here David has it. I will come unto you. He says, I come to you in the name of Yahweh of hosts. He's zealous for the Lord whom Goliath has defiled. And then we see it in Jesus Christ. Zeal for your house, of course, being applied to him. It should be applied to us too. I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. Better is one day in your court than thousands anywhere else. May we not lose these things because we run into resistance. And it's so easy to lose. It's so easy to get bitter. What do you do if you've been hanging around Christianity for a long time and working and serving and you find your zeal low, your joy absent, and you're just not as ready to believe and trust God as you used to. What do you do? You fight. You force yourself to sing. You force yourself to pray. You force yourself to praise God. Not because these things aren't true, because they are true. And just because they are evasive to you, your feelings doesn't mean they're not there. And verse 46, This day Yahweh will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. That's prophetic. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Not gods, but single, a single God, the only one, of course. This is how you talk back to the devil. God's going to deliver me from your hand. I don't know how. David knew how. (laughs) But the application in life, we don't always know how. 
He says, I'm going to strike and take your head from you. And he expands this. And not only you, but all those guys in back of you. It's quite bodacious. And all he has so far, he's killed a bear and a lion. That's pretty impressive. I don't think there's anybody here that succeeded in doing that with, uh, without at least... <laughs> David did it with a sling and a, probably a knife. So, after David does, of course, win, he's going to take time to have a photo op and cart that head of Goliath around from various places. We're not told it was for three days, but it calculates that way. It was at least a day and a half. At, no, at this moment, David had no sword in his hand to cut the giant's head off. How was he going to do this? He wasn't speaking figuratively. He, was, he meant business. When the time comes, he's going to use Goliath's sword, and he's not going to hesitate. There will be zero hesitation in all of this. It's just one fluid, rhythmic move of this shepherd. So in contrast to Saul, who was always so clumsy, so ready to not believe because he had other interests, and those interests dominated his life, and he really liked it. He said, I like not liking the Bible. That Saul. David, on the other hand, had no time for such things. He says, in this day, in verse 46, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, extending the judgment. It is a detailed and graphic statement that he's going to make good on, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. This is going to be done on what was then national television, right before their eyes. God had two armies assembled there to see this. Deuteronomy 31, be strong and of good courage. Remember, when God says that, it's because he knows that you're afraid. He knows that you're feeling weak, in most cases, and there is no courage. So he's telling you to be strong and of good courage, and if it were otherwise, it would be almost insulting. You do, do, do you like it when someone asks, are you afraid, and you know you're not afraid? You get a little irritated at the person. Well, I'm, I'm not afraid. <laughs> then they really believe you're afraid. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For Yahweh, your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. But you will come that close, <laughs> that close to being forsaken sometimes. God's got this thing for buzzer shots. You know, at the last, the buzzer goes off, He fires a winning shot. I, I want to win the game by a thousand points. I just want an easy life. I really just want to be in heaven eating grapes. <laughs> the, day, the day will come, because of Saul, that David will have to cling to these types of verses. Deuteronomy was already in existence, and David knew the word. He would no doubt turn to verses like that. 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul we're talking about that they may know that there's a God in Israel. Fight the good fight. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He's saying, Timothy, there's people watching you. They're looking at you. Hold up the line in front of them. And he says, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things. And before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. This is 1 Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy gets a little bit stronger. But 
Paul said, you know, our Lord stood before Pilate and he upheld his witness. And David on this battlefield is going to uphold the witness too. Everything he's saying to this giant, he means it. Verse 47. Then all this assembly shall know that Yahweh does not save with sword and spear. The battle is Yahweh's and he will give it into our hands. Uh, doesn't save with sword or spear, but he will on this day with sling and stone. Uh, this was true of Gideon. <laughs> Gideon uh, uh, didn't have many troops, and God, of course, brought the victory about. Samson with his jawbone. Here's another verse that is so central to the Calvary Chapel movement, and uh, sometimes in life just seems so evasive. This is the word of Yahweh to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says Yahweh of hosts, the Lord of armies. He says it's going to be by his spirit. That's how the victory is won. Every single victory for God is won that way. Now, there are human victories, and they may even be, oh, they truly are all governed by God, but some in, in more detail than others. But all the spiritual victories are by the Spirit of God. And it is very upfront in our thinking as believers. We want it that way. We want no victory that God has not brought about. Uh, Abraham tried to do that, he and Sarah. Sarah was the mastermind of the plan, and Abraham happily went along with it. But it caused years of grief when Ishmael came into the picture. When Abraham had to send him out. And of course, Ishmael did not turn into some great figure to model your life after. I mean, you couldn't picture Isaac saying, be like Uncle Ishmael to his son, Jacob. Well, Jacob had enough time, enough time being like anybody. And, uh, and then Esau, who, who identified with Ishmael. They were both manly men. But who would want it said his hand was against every man and every man's hand was against him? That was Ishmael. I don't want to be that abrasive individual that's just cantankerous. I do. Anyway, verse 18. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Well, the next person that the Philistine will meet it will be his maker. <laughs> he's gonna, David's running to meet Goliath. Goliath doesn't know that he's on course to meet his maker in just a few seconds now. So David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. I, we I covered this before, but there are two instances that we see in the Scripture that, that depict God running. Does God ever run? Yes. Twice in Scripture we see him run. And in neither one is he running away. It is the picture of uh, this picture of the David, the son of Jesse, running to kill the giant the enemy of God's people. And then there is the parable of the prodigal son and the father running to receive the child. How many heartbroken prayers did that father utter and have to wait for the day when his smelly son comes home at the end of himself in rags, but humble, genuinely humble. He genuinely saw himself. He, that's what humility is. Humility is not, you know, self-hatred. 
Self-hatred is such a waste of time, such a tool of the devil. Yeah, we get frustrated by what we're not. but That's not grounds enough to halt. You have to find out what you are and develop that. And so if, um, you know, if you can throw a fastball 105 miles an hour, you pretty much have a lead on what direction you should go in in life. And it's not throwing peanuts at the stadium. Uh, and, you know, these baseball examples, they, they, they're not working on this generation well. And we've got to figure out a way to do that, Lord. Uh, all right. We know God is a baseball fan. The Bible starts out in the big inning. <laughs> there we go. All right. David is the aggressor here. He's running toward the giant. He's eager for the fight. It has to happen. There's no half-heartedness. It's like, well, maybe I'll try to do this to him. He's just running straight at him. He's got the energy. He's got the momentum. Goliath doesn't know what's happening. He thinks he does. He's got his armor on. He's got his shield on. He's got his little helmet on, his big helmet on his big head. David would later write, For by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. There's that surge. And... Maybe that's how he delivered the lambs from the lion and the bear. How different was David from all the army in Saul? Again, chapter 17, verse 24. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. And David is, you know, everybody's running from the giant. David's running to the giant. And again, 1 Samuel 17, 35. Talking about the bear and the lion. And I went after it and struck it. You see the aggression? And I delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and I struck and killed it. But again, his coming struggle with Saul will be nothing like this. And it will be from one of his own kin. From the, from the line of Jacob. This giant will be nothing compared to what he's going to face in Saul. One vicious, evil, stupid person can hound a life senselessly. Verse 49. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone. And he slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. So that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. The pinging noise of that rock hitting the head was so loud it knocked over half the front line. No, it did not. That would be goofy. It's cartoonish. But apparently he's still running and he's reaching in his bag. And he's loading up his sling as he's running. I mean, that's, the, that's how the story reads. And he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. There you have it. You've heard of Achilles' heel? Well, there's Goliath's head, the weak spot. And the helmet of salvation is not for the unsaved. So the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. It was embedded. What's happening on both sides? Shock and awe. <laughs> Shock and awe on both sides in front of all those witnesses. I mean, I would love to have had a, just a, a, a camera shot of the faces of the people on both sides. The shock. I mean, you couldn't fake that kind of a look. Uh, just silence. All, 
there's a over there's thousands of people here watching this on live, you know, live Eli Valley. Verse 50. And David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. So he's got to fulfill this prophecy from verse 46. I'm going to I'm going to chop your head off. Temporary minor setback. Whenever a sword is in David's hand, is trouble for the enemy. Verse 51, therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. I bet they did. As fast as their little sandals could carry them. Again, don't, again these are mean people. Don't feel sorry for them. These are vicious people. Ready to enslave the Jews. And the, you know, the, the, the treatment of the women and the children in the Philistine camp is, was not something that you'd want to model. But again, therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine. Here he's running again. He's on the move. He drops him from a distance with the sling. He closes the gap. He gets up on him. He's in haste. He wastes no time to finish the job. What lessons? He's just flying off the page. Well, the onlookers are soaking it all in with their eyes. Some historian, somebody who wrote it down, was an eyewitness, and they saw it, and it stood out. It kept replaying in their head. I mean, he just flung that stone. He was on him. And he just got right to work, took the sword out of his head, giant sword, lifted that thing, stabbed him, chopped his head off. Well, Goliath might recover, and David knew it. Or his, his buddies might recover their you know, his comrades might overcome their stupefied amazement and come after him. And so without hesitation and with a stroke, he removed the head of the giant. As promised, a promise is a promise. And in contrast to Saul, David had no intention of taking Goliath alive, like Saul did with Agag. Another contrast. I mean, we just learned these lessons. We said, okay, don't be like Saul Try to be more like David, in, 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 certainly not in the sinful areas, but in the courageous areas of, of the scripture. You're absolutely, his sole objective was to destroy the enemy. It was a matter of survival. Objective has been satisfied. In verse 52, now we start getting to the aftermath. What happened? Then what happened, Grandpa? As he's telling the story, you know. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted, and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley of the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road of Shearaim, even as far as Gath and Ekron. This is sort of like, you know, the, the highway of death in the Gulf War when the Iraqi army was leaving Kuwait with loot, having pillaged and molested and mutilated these men were savages. They were not an, uh, a decent army in retreat. They were monsters. And, of course, the militaries uh, saw to it that they would not live to fight another day. And that is what is going on here. Had Israel not won these battles like this, the Philistines were enough trouble. Had they not won these battles, they would have been, it would have all been worse. This will not decimate the Philistine army because they're going to live to destroy uh, Saul and his family, uh, his sons, 
but uh, David will ultimately subdue them. But here, the, the operative thought from verse 52 is finish the job. They were up and they were out. The troops. Not a time for mercy. This was time for action. Psalm 18, verse 40, David would write, You have also given me the necks of my enemies, so that I destroyed those who hated me. Of course, the Christian, the Christian response is not one of hatred towards people, but it is hatred towards those things that damn a soul. When, when Elimus stood in the way of Paul trying to undo the gospel, Paul struck him blind for a little while. Um, the Lord doesn't seem to be very liberal with that gift. <laughs> that would be one I would be asking for. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, the army of God here is at work behind a God-given champion. That's something for the church to, to remember, to, for Christians to remember. You know, we have our champions, and what is our role, and what do we do with that? Do we just applaud their victory, or do we get involved in the fight ourselves? And that's what's happening. It's not enough to attend church. You must apply yourself. You have to yourself personally get involved. There's a story when Elijah the prophet was on his deathbed. And King Joash comes to him. He's very moved by Elijah the prophet. Not moved enough, apparently. But he was moved by him. And he comes to see the prophet. And the prophet, even on his deathbed, is, 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 is it giving his ministry out. So we pick it up in 2 Kings 13. And Elijah is speaking to the king. He says, and he said, open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. These are the arrows. He told him to get his arrow and bow. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of Yahweh's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike, strike the Syrians at Aphex till you have destroyed them. And then he said, take the arrows. So he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck the ground three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. The prophet is saying, these people are monsters. They're raiding us. They're enslaving us. Remember Naaman had that little Jewish girl in the home. He picked her up from a rage. He didn't just wander into his house and say, hey, I'd like to work here. This is serious business. And Elijah says, listen, you're the king. And I need you to, to, to go after the enemy. Well, it was a half-hearted thing. It's like, okay, I'll take the ground and strike it. It was no drive. There was no passion. There was no zeal. What if you had given this, these arrows to David? They would have broke them. <laughs> Just step in the ground. And so that was what was missing from the king. And that's why the prophet was angry. Because you got no passion for righteousness. There's no indignation in you. There's no fire in your belly. Just casual. <laughs> that's not the case of this day there in the Valley of Elah. David ran out with zeal and the army saw it. And they reacted to that. They picked up on that. They saw the zeal of their champion and they got, they, they caught the wave. The vision, you could say. They caught the vision and they were on it. That's how the church needs to be. There's nothing wrong with having heroes, human heroes. They're not on the level with Christ and of course not. You can have heroes nonetheless. You better have them as a matter of fact. It says as far as Gath and Ekron, 10 miles or so, 
It's a long, that's a lot of work. And again, everything in Israel is uphill, so it's a lot. Verse 53, then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their tents. All of this started with, with dad. It was Jesse that started this whole thing. Boy, I need you to take some cheese and some bread and some grain to your brothers. And who would have thought that an errand boy would have brought down the Philistine army? It was a dramatic victory. Now what? Well, more battles ahead. A throne is awaiting David and a crown. One of the greatest men of all, in all the scripture. One of the most down-to-earth men in all the Bible. Uh, verse 54, And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put it, and he put his armor in his tent. Just like that. He took his head. He, he, he chops it off, and he keeps it. He probably salted it. Because if you're going to be going, I mean, Jerusalem's 20 miles away from the battlefield. And then to Bethlehem, another seven miles. And light, possibly back up to Gilgal, I don't even know, Gilgal might have been another 20 or 18 or so. So there's a, I mean, and, he, and he's having conversation with people on the way. <laughs> when he gets to these places, I mean, he's walking down the street. Somebody's going, to him, hey, what do you got in your hand, a big head? <laughs> so, yes, as a matter of fact, <clears throat> this, is, this, is, this is goofy on one hand. It's glorious on another hand. You don't know what to do. In a Christian perspective, is like it's kind of gross. But it's that meaningful of a victory. So he takes it. David took the head to the, to the Phil, of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. Now, it's not Jerusalem yet. So we know that the historian is, has compiled records and he's writing, looking backwards. It is now David's king by the time this is, or at least has been king, by the time it's published. But at the time, Jerusalem was Jabus, and the curse was upon them too. They were to be pushed out of the promised land because of a judgment upon them. They were a wicked people. It was a free city at the time. Uh, David could walk in, the Jews could walk in to the city of Jabus. But the day would come when it would not be a free city. They'd lock David out, and they, they, would, they would mock him. They'd, we know we're going to put our, our invalid people up on the wall to repel you. And David said, we're going to see about that. And uh, David said, who, who, whoever can climb up the well in, in the city and open the gate for us will be commander of my army. Well, J, you know, Joab will do that. Can't wait to get to him. So this is an eviction notice. David is co- taking the head to Jabus for a reason. To him, you know, Melchizedek is connected to this city. To David, this city belongs to the Jews. And he takes the head there and he says, you're next. He's, he's got so much momentum from the battlefield. He almost doesn't know what to do with it. It proves to be very prophetic. Did he connect it with his anointing? Well, there's no word of it. Maybe he did. So the battle, you know, people are plundering the tents of the Philistine, but David has got bigger plans. And he's going to take the head to Saul also. We'll get to that in a minute. It says he, he put the armor in his tent. What tent? Well, the Hebrew word there is dwelling place. It's his home. It could, it could be he could have taken it back to Bethlehem, which is seven miles from Jabus. Or it could be the tent of the Lord that is at Gilgal. It's, it's not clear. We know the sword ends up there. Wherever it goes, he takes the armor. It now belongs to David. 
Luke's gospel, chapter 11, Jesus said, If I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. I think the Lord must have had to fight David and Goliath on on mine because he mentions the, the... the guy who loses the armor lost to one who's not said to have had armor. And uh, they took all the spoils. Uh, just an amazing story. First Samuel chapter 21, verse 9. So the priest said, the sword of Goliath. When David said, have you any weapons? You want to run from Saul. Do you have any weapons? So the priest said, uh, the, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah. You got to love it because there's a passion with that. He doesn't say, well, Goliath's sword is here. No, he goes on. He gives us a little bit more, you know, whom you killed in the valley of Elah. There it is, wrapped in the cloth behind the ephod. If you will take it, take it. For there is no other except that one. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. This is just a man. You know what some of the worldly historians like to say? Well, if there really was a man named David, ah, oh, shut up. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's boring. Unbelief after a while becomes boring because there's overwhelming information available that they choose with pseudo-intellect at that point. And what is it with some people? You know, they feel that they're successful at... If, if a person feels that he's successful at spitting a watermelon seed 20 feet, that he can somehow can do brain surgery too. Now, I don't think anybody thinks that, but my point is there are those that may have a successful career in one thing and they therefore think they're an authority on anything else you ask them. Man, no wonder we're going to all like it being, like being in heaven. None of those kinds are going to be there. <laughs> that stuff won't be happening. Well, verse 55. Then Saul, said, then Saul saw David going out against the Philistine. He said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. <laughs> so the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. It's kind of comical because why do you got to get my soul involved as your soul lives? Leave my soul out of it. Don't just, just, why don't you just say, I don't know? Okay, maybe you don't see it that way, but as I'm reading it, I don't want somebody saying, as your soul lives, Rick. I mean, what is none of your business? <laughs> anyway, he wants to know from, now this is as David is going out. So the, the historian is going back now before David kills the giant. And he sees Then, verse 55, when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, that's when he's he's inquiring. Well, you know, he might be his future son-in-law if he he kills this giant. Or, who do we send the remains to? (laughs) The giant kills him. Uh, I'd like to think that as David left that line, the gait, the walk, the strut, was, it caught the eye of it. It just like it was a confidence there. David was going like this guy is going to be done in a few minutes, and uh, it, it, Saul picked up on that. Instead of just sitting there with his mouth shut, and somebody, of course, gets it in, into writing. Uh, verse fifty-seven. Then, as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. <laughs> So as the army is out running after the Philistines doing what they're supposed to do, David's got a head to keep. 
is that, look, I'm done for the day, okay? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to take my big head and go home. Uh, I'm, I'm laughing because that's exactly what took place. Uh, so David comes to Saul with the head. Is this the guy? <laughs> is this the guy that you were so afraid to face? <laughs> Here's the head. And, I don't, and David probably says, okay, you can hold it for a little while. <laughs> but he's not going to let him keep it. It's my head. After a while, the salt was no longer working, I'm sure, and David probably just threw it into a ditch. I don't know. Was, but what a barbaric picture. Verse 58, Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? <laughs> oh, now I'm a young man. Before I was a ruddy lad, now I'm a young man. So David answered, I'm the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Well, uh, more detail here about Saul's future son-in-law, because he's family now. He promised he's going to, and Saul, of course, not going to make it easy, because that's the kind of fool he was. David thinks he just put down the biggest enemy of his life, and Israel. And yet, he's talking to the biggest enemy to be. He has an appointment with Saul, and he doesn't even know it. Neither does Saul at this time, but soon... With king-sized resources, Saul is going to hate David and spend the rest of his life trying to kill him, to slaughter him. Goliath, again, a big problem. I've tried to stay away from the big metaphors with Goliath, you know, but it's very difficult because it fits so easily. But Saul will be a problem every single day. Not just a moment on the battlefield. He'll, David will wake up and it will get worse. It'll look like it will clear up and it won't clear up. It's back again. And it's just this, this juggernaut, this chronic problem that won't leave him alone. And he's done nothing to deserve it. In fact, Saul should have made him his champion. No, he makes him his target. But David, again, will be the last man standing. He won't carry the head of Saul around. But it will break his heart because of what it meant. It meant the potential, what was lost, what it could have been. David knew what it could have been, and it never was given a chance to be. They're just those kind of people in this world. Let's pray. Our Father, such a simple story that has been unfortunately limited to a children's story, but it is a story for everyone, so loaded with lessons about engaging certain problems in this life. Hopefully, Lord, you will find us stronger because of it, which is one of the grand intentions of your word. May you get us all home safely tonight, we ask you. In Jesus' name, amen.